When I was an Army chaplain, my soldiers asked me all kinds of questions about God, life, relationships, the Bible, theology, and I answered them as best I could from what I've picked up along the way. They also called me Padre. Welcome to the Dear Padre podcast, where I try to answer the questions of the day, and the questions of the day I, I seem to be answering during this time of a pan, global pandemic is, like, what am I supposed to do today? What am I supposed to do right now, given the limitations that I have. And so I'm starting to um, upload my mini sermons that I preach twice a day at 9 o'clock in the morning and 4.30 p.m. Uh, Central Time for our Zoom morning and evening prayer. Morning and evening prayer are services of the Anglican Church that uh, we do every day. They take about 15 to 20 minutes, and you're always welcome to join us for those but uh, I wanted to upload my uh, encouraging words from those sermons here on the Dear Padre podcast. So the king and Haman went in the feast with Queen Esther. On the second day, as they were drinking wine, the king again said to Esther, What is your petition, Queen Esther? It shall be granted you. And what is your request? Even to the half of my kingdom, it shall be fulfilled. Then Queen Anne. Esther answered, If I have won your favor, O king, and if it pleases the king, let my life be given me. This is my petition, and the lives of my people, that is my request. For we have been sold, I and my people, to be destroyed, to be killed, and to be annihilated. If we had been sold merely as slaves, men and women, I would have held my peace. But no enemy can compensate for this damage to the king. Then King Assur said to Queen Esther, who is he and where is he who has presumed to do this? Esther said, a foe, an enemy, this wicked Haman. Then Haman was terrified before the king and the queen. The king rose from the feast in wrath and went into the palace garden, but Haman stayed to beg his life from Queen Esther, for he saw that the king had determined to destroy him. When the king returned from the palace garden to the banquet hall, Haman had thrown himself on the couch where Esther was reclining. And the king said, will he even assault the queen in my presence in my own house? As the words left the mouth of the king, they covered Haman's face. Then Harbona, one of the eunuchs in attendance on the king said, look, the very gallows that Haman has prepared for Mordecai whose words saved the king, stands at Haman's house, 50 cubits high. And the king said, hang him on that. So they hanged Haman on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. Then the anger of the king abated. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Here we have the justice, the twist of fate that happens in the story of Esther. They're drinking a lot of wine in the book of Esther, which um, Jewish people even today drink a lot on Purim, the festival celebrating this liberation from uh, Haman. Uh, you're supposed to drink so much that you can't tell Haman from Mordecai. You can't tell the good guy from the bad guy. There are no other holidays in which you're encouraged to drink like that in the, in the, um, in the, in the Jewish tradition. 
But we have this uh, sort of feast that's happening. It's a small, intimate dinner that Haman was so excited to attend. And here, at this very dramatic moment, Esther says what she has been wanting to say this whole time to her husband, King Ahasuerus, who is the king, um, and they don't know each other that well. So this is a risky uh, proposition that she gives him. She says, spare my life and the life of my people. She said, "If, if we were being sold into slavery, I wouldn't say anything, but we are being worse, we are being sold into murder. We are going to be murdered on a certain day. Uh, and we need to be saved from this. And the, only the king can save us from this. And so the king, of course, is upset. And he says, who did this? And he's sitting right here, Haman. And then Haman, in his emotional uh, pleading and whining and complaining that he's sort of been wronged, he throws himself on the couch uh, where Esther is reclining. And of course, the king looks at him and says, he's going to assault my the queen in my presence. Uh, so Haman goes from bad to worse suddenly in this reversal. Haman had all the power in his hand. He had everything that the world offers. And yet, because of his cruelty, because of his greed, because of his um, hatred of God's people, he is the one that gets hung on his own gallows. There's a, a phrase in English, hoisted by your own petard. Uh, we don't use it a lot. A petard, if you play a lot of medieval warfare games uh, like I do, you know a petard is a um, charge of gunpowder placed under the city walls or under a tower when they're attacking a city. You blow it up and the, the, the wall or the tower falls because there's an explosion underneath it. And occasionally those who um, planted petards got hoisted by them accidentally if the charge went off too soon. So Haman is hoisted by his own petard. The very scheme that he has crafted to kill Mordecai has come back on him. He is the one that hangs from the gallows or is impaled on the pail that he has built at his own house. We always say that in the story of Esther that uh, how does God work? Well, God is not bound by any of our rules when it comes to how God administers justice in the world. We think about the extermination of the Jewish people in the story of Esther. We think about other peoples down through history who have been the attempted extermination of them. When we think about the injustice in Kentucky today with the killing of Breonna Taylor and the just rash injustice, the hundreds of days that have gone by since that killing uh, to to this announcement yesterday, we think of, uh, I think of one of my friends, Demetrius, who said, we served in the army together, and he, he's a black man, and he said, are, are we cursed? He, he asked me once, are we cursed? Uh, did, why is it that we get this kind of hatred? Why do we, no matter what we do, we're killed, we're, we're hurt, we're pushed aside, and I, I had no words to say to him I love him and I care about him and I don't know what to say, but that feeling that that his haunting words come back to me uh, on these days to think uh, why this injustice is is repeatedly done in our country over and over again. It's not because of a curse or anything like that. I know Demetrius doesn't fully believe that either, but 
why, why is this racism so deep in our bones in white America? And we wonder that. We need a, a repentance. We need a national repentance of the sin of racism. Many of us are trying to do that as best we can um, in li the little ways we can. But it is uh, so deep. And you can see Esther pleading for her people here. She's saying, don't murder us. That's the very basic level of human justice. Don't murder us. And I hear that cry from black people around me, the people I know, the people I've known my whole life. And we see it, we hopefully see it um, in, the, in the, the social media screens that we all uh, get our news from. But I feel like social media is so uh, device, divided by the content that we like. So if you are a racist, you're probably getting a lot of racist content. If you're not a racist, you're probably getting content that's less racist. And that's kind of how it's divided. So they, I feel like the people that need to hear this message of repentance today aren't hearing it because the way that our, me, our social media divides the content that we consume very carefully. They curate it for us to give us stuff that we want to hear. And that is uh, the great tragedy of this technology. And so Esther, pleading for the life of her people, uh, this is what I hear from our black neighbors today. That's what Black Lives Matter means at its very essence. May our lives matter as much as the lives of, of white people and the people around us. Uh, close to home in Pflugerville, we remember the, um, we remember um, Javier who was killed uh, by police in Williamson County, a Pflugerville resident. We think of the people that was last year. We think of the people that have died uh, from police violence in our country, in our community. And we weep and we mourn and we are angry and we repent and we call for justice to be done. Uh, it, it, Esther uh, didn't know what would happen when she asked the king. She didn't know. Um, she had, I'm sure, prayed about it. And she had was probably scared about it, and she didn't know what to do, but she knew what she could do. She had been put in that place. So we think about the places that we have been put. Where has God put us? Why has God put us in these places? He's put us in these places to say, stop killing these people. Stop killing people in this country that are black. Stop killing people of color uh, because it's the easiest solution to difficult problems. Let's stop this now. And God has put each of us in places where we can say that in the ways and the in the ways that matter to our communities. I hope I'm saying that to my white, mostly veteran community, that this racism needs to stop. And each of us are in different communities where we can speak into them to say that this to say what God wants for this country, that is justice and peace. And so our prayer today is that God will bring justice in God's own way. God is not bound by the rules of niceness or kindness that we sort of ascribe to God many times. In this story, Haman gets hung on a gallows. And we need to remember that God's justice uh, is God's justice, not ours. So we pray for God's vengeance to come on those who do evil in the world. We pray for God's justice, not our revenge, but God's revenge. God is going to come. We, we say in the creed every day, he will come again to judge the living and the dead. And that means that everything that is upside down, that is screwed up, is going to be put to right. 
It's going to be put the right way. It's going to be fixed. And it doesn't seem like that's even possible uh, when we look around the world today. It seems impossible, but that is what God does. God, uh, out of ashes, God brings beauty. Uh, as forest fires devastate our western states, the flowers that grow after those fires are some of the most beautiful flowers. And God is, a, is doing this so many times in so many ways. This is what the crucifixion of Jesus means for us, that an unjust killing by police is the thing that saves the world, that through his death, his burial, and his resurrection, this forgiveness is offered to everyone, this reconciliation, this justification, and all the things that we long for for justice are encapsulated in that cry, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And I hear that cry today. I hear it from Louisville, Kentucky. I hear it from our own community, and I hear it around the world. And so we pray, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. I think uh, I'm not much of a rapture guy, tribulation guy, you know, end times. But when times like these, I say, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus, which is a prayer from the Bible. I've been praying prayer B, which is our Eucharistic prayer B on page 367 the last couple Sundays, because it has that line in it, in these last days. These feel like the last days. And we need to remember that as we pray for the return of the King, who will set everything to right. Amen. Today, the church remembers Anna Ellison Butler Alexander. Um, she was the first African-American deaconess in the Episcopal Church. I have a picture of her. She is decently habited, as they say. Um, she was a teacher and minister in southern Georgia. Anna Ellison Butler Alexander was born to recently emancipated enslaved people on Butler Plantation in McIntosh County, Georgia in 1865. So the, she was born the end, right at the end of the Civil War uh, to, to parents who had just recently been released. She was the first African-American set aside as a deaconess in the Episcopal Church in 1907. She founded Good Shepherd Church, so she's a church planter in rural Glen County's Pennock community, where she taught children to read and by tradition from the Book of Common Prayer and the Bible in a one-room schoolhouse. Those are great ways to learn how to read, I think, the BCP and the Bible. The school was later expanded to two rooms with a loft where Anna lived. She ministered there for 53 years, leaving a legacy of love and devotion still felt there in Glynn County. But she had difficult times. She served in a difficult time. The Diocese of Georgia segregated her congregations in 1907, and African-American congregations were not invited to another diocesan convention until 1947, the year of her death. Similarly, it was only in 1970 that our general convention officially recognized deaconesses as being in deacon's orders. However, her witness, wearing the distinctive dress of a deaconess, traveling by foot from Brunswick through Darien to Pennock, showing care and love for all she met, represents the best in Christian witness. So we can see in her life and witness the, the legacy of the racism in the Episcopal Church in, in that time period and even our current time period, the sexism, which said women couldn't be deacons until 1970. And uh, in spite of that, she persevered, teaching the children to read, leading worship, planting churches. And uh, we thank God for her. 
O God, you called Anna Alexander as a deaconess in your church and sent her as teacher and evangelist to the people of Georgia. Grant us the humility to go wherever you send and the wisdom to teach your word of Christ to whomever we meet, that all may come to the enlightenment which you intend for your people. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen.